So here we are uh, on Palm Sunday. Do we have the slides up? Yeah, ready to go? Okay. Here we are on Palm Sunday. Uh, I love Palm Sunday. I love the, the branches and the excitement and the waving. And I love Easter, of course, which is our greatest day of the whole year where we celebrate Jesus uh, overturning death and destroying it. And so uh, we're going to do a couple things in the next, in the next two weeks to get ourselves ready. Um, Easter really is happening every day of the year. We celebrate it once a year in order to bring ourselves and our minds back to the day, to, to immerse ourselves in the story once again. But really the, the movements of Easter, which is uh, the pain which we encounter, the, uh, the, the grief which we go through when all seems lost, and the hope of something new starting up inside of us. That happens every day. God is doing that work in our lives over and over and over again. And we oftentimes miss it because we are too blind to see it. We've got so much else going on. And so in order to, to remind ourselves that and to get our, get our minds around that, I've decided that we're going to do this week and next week as kind of two uh, little, little mini-series of two sermons. One's called, or they're both called Vinegar and Gall. Uh, I don't know if you know um, about vinegar and gall, but uh, Jesus, when he was on the cross hanging there, was thirsty, as, as happens when you're losing your life. A great thirst comes upon you, and he cries out, I'm thirsty, and uh, the soldiers there put some, a sponge and fill it with vinegar. I mean, think about it, like balsamic vinegar. No, that's probably, that's probably too tasty. Just pure white vinegar, you know, and you put it in your mouth, and it's the last thing that you, you want to taste. And this was a fulfillment of a prophecy, an ancient prophecy, written in Psalm 69, um, that, that Jesus, uh, when he was resurrected, he turned his disciples' attention back to Psalm 69 and said, look, look what happened. It was a fulfillment of this prophecy. So, vinegar and gall. But what does vinegar and gall have to do with the goodness of God? And I, and I, I love this, um, how the... the, the Holy Week, this last week before he, um, before um, Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday, I love how it brings these two themes together. Suffering, bitterness, the very things in life which we would never want up with God's final powerful work in our lives and his goodness winning the day after all. Jesus, in fact, uh, his whole final week brings us face to face with the questions of good God's goodness. How can a good God let there be so much pain and suffering in the world? And Jesus not only answers that for us, but he actually almost, as if, as if that question is a power, an authority, he comes face to face with it and crushes the question for us so we don't have to be lost in it. So anyway, I'm going to open this up for us this, this week. Now, uh, I wanted to say one, a couple more things before I really jump in. Um, what I'm going to be giving you this week is like a fine meal. Um, some, sometimes at churches you can go or you can like listen to sermons online and you can get like a potato chip and soda kind of sermon. Like it fills you up, but then you're bloated after it kind of thing. You know, like it's like it, it kind of tastes good, but it's not like the substance of it all. And you do leave sometimes and you never get the deep questions or the deep answers to the real questions. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm going deep. I'm going to take some deep dives into this question, and I'm going to be serving you up like steak, filet mignon, and broccoli, like really good broccoli, <laughs> and potatoes. 
Um, and so if you're a seasoned Christian, if you're someone who's wrestled with these, the, the questions which come up, uh, if you're a longtime Christian, then devour this. Enjoy the meal. Take it in. Uh, if you're someone who hasn't been at this for a while, or if um, you feel like some of what I'm going to take us into in the next couple of weeks is too much, or you don't quite, you're not quite with me, that's okay. Like, take what you, like, take a bite, take a, a bite of a beef and a bite of potatoes and some, two, two broccoli, um, and, and enjoy. God is with us. He's, he's here, and the point of these sermons are never for you to remember everything I've, I say. Uh, but use it as a time to listen. What is God saying to you through this? Uh, if you're not a Christian or someone who's um, just seeking, my invitation to you is this. It's like, take a seat at the table here. Um, take a bite or a few if you want. Uh, but see for yourself uh, firsthand what Christianity tastes like. Like how we go about answering some of the hardest questions that, are, that are, we're faced with as humans. And so that's my invitation to you today as, as we go in. Um, and I do it this way. Um, I know, I know sometimes, sometimes potato chips and soda are, are all we really need. <laughs> we need a good snack. Um, I do it this way because I, I, I believe in you. I trust that, um, that you are going to be with me. I trust that you're going to be able to take what I'm offering um, and be able to, to do with it what you will. Um, you, you are all smart people. And uh, I'm going to press us a little bit here. Um, so here we go. How can such a powerful God allow such pain? And the entryway into this question is through power. The theme of power and authority. So authority figures that elevate us versus authority figures that make us smaller. Now let's think about this for a little bit. We, we encounter people in our life who uh, just by being around them make us better people. And we encounter people in our life who make us scared and feel like we need to shrink and feel smaller. I had an experience. I talk about uh, my experience uh, in, in school a lot. I ended up getting a PhD in early Christianity. And my experience was not one of, of glory, of like arriving and everyone finally gets to see how smart I am. My experience was actually quite the opposite of that like realizing just how much I didn't know, coming face to face with some of the greatest thinkers in the world and realizing that I'm so far away from that and coming to a real place where I just question myself so deeply. Like my journey into that work and I finished off, God willing, or I, God, God was willing, uh, I finished off, but it was not easy. And, and I, I, that was four years ago now and I'm still reeling from some of the deep questioning of myself that I went through. I'm still trying to recover. So I, I tell this story not because I, I have a PhD. I tell it because a PhD almost killed me. And, um, but what happened was I got to study with one of the foremost New Testament scholars in the world. And it was like throwing myself up against a wall over and over again. Um, and I, I, he, he was a bishop at one point, And I came across... Uh, a picture of him in his bishop's outfit. He had this tall bishop's hat and this long crook. And he was talking to this lady who must have been in her 80s. And it was such a sweet conversation. I'm like, I'm having probably the opposite experience of this man that this woman is having. Like, he just took me to task. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm so much better. I was so much better. He, he elevated me in ways that no one probably ever could. And I look back with such fondness on that relationship. It wasn't easy, and I hated it, but he elevated me. 
Now, there are, that's, those are like, think of in your own life, do you have a coach or a, a parent or a grandparent or someone who, when you spend time around them, maybe they're not always the kindest to you because they're going to tell, tell you as it is. They're going to speak truth to you, but they're going to make you better. But there are all sorts of authorities in our life that we encounter that press us down. Like, I'm sorry if this is you. If you're a car salesperson in here, you're probably the best one. You're probably good. But I've met a lot of car salespeople. And every time you walk into that authority structure inside, you feel like such a small person. And at the end of the day, it just sort of presses you down. Or politicians. If you ever spend time around politicians and really get to know them, oftentimes you feel like inept or smaller. Or if someone in your life has like a big attitude and like every time you're around them, their big attitude just makes you feel like, you know what, I thought I had something to say, but in the end I was pressed down. Or, or what about cities even? Like you go to big cities sometime, massive cities, and you just look around and you feel like I'm such, I'm such a small person in the big story of this world. Or even cultural movements, which, you know, things that are moving along and, and taking certain routes, and you feel, I don't really sort of find myself agreeing with that cultural movement. But you feel like you can't open your mouth or speak your truth because maybe you're not smart enough or strong enough. There are all sorts of authorities out there which press us down and make us feel smaller. And the question of God's goodness at the end of the day, and I'm going to just dive in deep here, but the question of God's goodness at the end of the day is, is God, which one is God? Which one is God? Is God an authority, a power in our life which will elevate, who will elevate us? Or is God a God who is interested in just keeping us pressed down? And that really uh, frames up a lot of what, um, what, what we're talking about here. So the last week, Jesus' last week is so interesting because it illustrates the dynamic of human beings trying to, um, trying to find their way, trying to realize uh, who God is, ask the deep questions, but being pressed and pushed by different authorities. So think about this crowd, um, this crowd here. We may not like to think of ourselves like this crowd if we know the story. Um, but at the one moment, the crowd was starstruck with Jesus. They loved him. They were curious. They'd heard about all the miracles that he had done uh, in his ministry. And they came out to see him with palm branches. And as I'm about to show you, they were expecting that Jesus was going to be an unstoppable power, an unstoppable authority. And they were so happy about that. But when other powers, powers bigger than themselves, authority figures, started questioning that, the tide turned so quickly. And seven days later, this crowd were the very people who were shouting, crucify him, let him die. And it illustrates just how quickly the human heart can turn on our questions of God. Um, we're fans of God when it seems um, like he might have something to offer us. Um, or like I was thinking about this, like a, like a celebrity person you might go see in concert. You go see them in concert, you're curious about them, and you're a fan at a distance. But what if they, after the show, you got a backstage pass, and they started critiquing your outfit, or started questioning your intelligence, or started putting you down? When we start feeling like that, um, we start wondering, what are the motives of these famous people? Now, Jesus, um, Jesus, throughout the final week of his life, came in as a celebrity. 
but then started asking some really hard questions of the people who were supposed to be God's followers. And when we, um, when our stability, the people, our stability gets threatened, and then we turn. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue on the, with this. But the big point is, is that we're going to follow the crowd, see ourselves in the crowd as we an- try to answer the question of God's goodness. So next step in all of this, the power, the power authority figures, which is God? Is he going to elevate us or press us down? Next step is to go turn back the timetables, 900 years, and, and understand a couple psalms. The psalms are the prayers of Jesus' ancestors. And when he was resurrected from the dead uh, on Easter Sunday, he spent a bunch of time with his disciples opening up the Old Testament, saying, here's where it promised that I was going to come. Here's where it prophesied that this was going to happen. And their minds were like, how did we not see everything that was happening, everything which rocked our world, which made us question God's goodness, everything that was happening for a reason. And so it starts in Psalm 118 and 110, or yeah, 110 and 118, because what ultimately happened when the disciples lost Jesus on Good Friday, um, they lost a leader who had a chest. And by a chest, I mean he had strength and power, and they lost him. And so this gets us deeper in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this up for us a little bit. Psalm 110 talks about an unstoppable king. You, you may recognize these verses which Jesus uses in his last week of teaching. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. It's okay if you don't know those verses. But you, you can hear them if you've read the stories a lot. That these are part of, uh, part of the verses that, that um, Jesus uses to, to talk about himself. Now in, in Psalm 110, this is a Psalm of David. Um, he's in some sort of like prophetic mode. David himself, 900 years before Jesus, was praying and his, his like mind was getting blown with what God was showing him. And what happened was God was showing him a future day when some uh, king would come. Um, and so God is saying the Lord is speaking to David's Lord. So David himself, think about that, a king who's getting insight. I'm not the, the biggest power in the world. There's going to be someone more powerful than me. It's the unusual thing for a king to admit. But his mind is opened. God is saying, there will be a day, David, when you have a Lord, when you have someone that's more powerful than you. And here's what I'm going to say about him. Um, Your people will follow you, that Lord, or that Lord, and follow them sacrificially. They'll be willing. Um, And this king will be unstoppable. That's the promise. There'll be a king. This king's going to be unstoppable. No one is going to be able to stand in his way. And that was the promise that for 900 years the Jewish people held on to. And so when they were waving palm branches, they were going, here's our unstoppable king. Here's the one who God is with. God would not break his promise on this. And so you can tell when Jesus died on the cross, when, when he lost his life, when the Romans seemed to have won, they were utterly, utterly um, at a loss. And this shows us that when Jesus comes into his last week, that he's, uh, that he's going to open up grief. What are the things that you've lost in your life? Dreams, property, 
what is it that you would say that, like, this is my deepest loss, the thing that, I, that hit me so deeply. Jesus has been there too. And the disciples were there too. And that's what this story is about. Utter loss in the face of God's promise. Is God just playing with us? Um, the cross and the tomb make his followers have to face this question face on. Is God good or not? And Psalm 10, with the promise of the unstoppable king, gets us there. there. Now second, Psalm 118, a king with a chest. Um, you, might, you might remember of Psalm 8, 118, it begins and ends with two things. Give thanks to the Lord for what? He's good. This psalmist, this was David again, he knew that God was good. Uh, a stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone that comes up in the triumphal entry. Um, save us, Hosanna. Save us. Grant us success. That's what Hosanna means. We sing Hosanna. And they were shouting it when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Save us, Lord. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Psalm 18, um, was the, the David was so convinced of God's love and kindness. Um, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone means this. We have an underdog king. And he's not going to shrink back in the face of power. Uh, elsewhere in Psalm 118, it's like the, the enemies are like the nations, and they're like bees who surround and swarm me. But this king, no matter if he's getting stung, is going to stay strong to the end. And so here, this is what we have when, we, when we, these two things come together. You have utter loss, but you have someone strong enough to, to stand up to the questions and to stand up in the midst of such pain to other leaders who are authority figures who are too strong. Um, and so when people were expecting the Messiah, when they were expecting the king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, they were expecting a king who was never going to be defeated and one who was strong enough to be there. Well, they got the strong one for sure. Um, and um, and you, you, can, you can hear these expectations. I mean, 900-year-old expectations. You can hear them because, like, uh, I don't know if you remember... Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. But when John was doing his ministry, they were like, is he the one? Is he the one we're expecting? And then when Jesus was doing his ministry, John was like, Jesus, is that you? Are you the one we're, we're expecting? So this, the stage is set. Jesus is coming in on a donkey. And all these hopes of God's final rescue are coming in. Now, I've gone through a few things in my life which I would consider traumatic. Some things which have been so painful to me that I still, that still sort of haunt me in my life. Um, I'm not sure what that is for you, but I, I can think of some for me. And, um, you know, I know that there's other people who've gone through greater loss. But the, the thing about pain and the thing about, um, about loss is that it gets our fists up in the air. We start going like this. So, so, someone's going to come at me in the deepest places, we get our fists up. And it's very natural that we do that to God. How could, how could you let this happen to me, God? How could, you, how could you let my life turn out like this? How could you do this to me? And we get our fists up. But I, I learned probably about five or six years ago that the fist posture was, was only creating misery in my heart. Um, that there is another way to relate with God in the midst of our questioning. 
And, and this is where I want to take us a little bit deeper into this, because here's the thing uh, that, that, that I want to, to emphasize this week and next, is that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was, gonna, he was, doing, he was doing a rescue. It was like he was storming the gates of hell, and he was doing a great rescue. And one of the things that he rescued us from was having to be lost in the questions. God, are you good? Jesus came face to face with that question. And, and he, he defeated the question. He defeated the, the feeling. Um, and he, he opens our hands like this. He opens his hands to invite us out. And I learned long ago that the way through that is through grief. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, about grief and, and Jesus' rescue. But to go a little bit deeper here, I have to give you one more psalm to show you that it wasn't just a strong Lord who came. It wasn't just one who confronted ultimate loss, but he himself went through so much pain that there is not a pain large enough in this world that should keep us away from believing God is good. And that's how this works. Um, do I have control over this or preschool? No, I don't. Psalm 69, okay? Psalm 69, the, the disciples, Jesus, this is another one that Jesus is like, read this psalm and recognize what's just happened to me. You'll, you'll see here. So Psalm 69, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Zeal for your house consumes me. If you know the, the last week, the story of the last week, these are verses that come up over and over again. But here's how the Psalm 69 works. Psalm 69 was, uh, again, a, a David psalm, and he was in a lot of pain. He was like going through some real stuff. In Psalm 69, um, here's what he was, when he was complaining to God, here's what he was saying to God. People hate me without reason. I am forced to pay for what I did not steal. Like when I fast and pray, when I try to be devoted for you, people scorn me. Um, and not just that, but like my spiritual family. The people who are supposed to be the, your followers, they're scorning me too. Um, but... In the midst of all, my family, in the midst of my suffering, my family isn't even at my side. I'm abandoned even by them. Um, and then he, he finishes off one section saying, but as for me, afflicted in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. That, that's his prayer in the midst of his pain. And you can see Jesus just walking each of these steps. People hated me without reason. I mean, he did say some hard stuff to the power and he confronted them. But at the end of the day, people turned on him for no good reason. Pilate, the Roman judge, was like, this guy's innocent. But yet all this whole crowd was just crucify him. And he was experiencing that feeling that I'm being hated for no reason. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced like, look, all I was trying in my life was to do good. I had such a good intention. And yet people hate me for no reason. If you, if you resonate with that, I mean, Jesus went through I'm forced to pay for what I did not steal. Up on the cross, hanging crucified. I'm paying for the sins of the world. The things I did not commit, I will pay for. Um, I'm being scorned. I'm being shamed. My own family is not at my side. I mean, Mary, Mary, his mother, was there. But where are his brothers and sisters? We know Jesus had brothers and sisters, and especially his disciples. They had all abandoned him. And you can hear almost Jesus crying from the cross, As for me, afflicted in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. He goes on. 
and these are his prayers. My eyes are red and weary trying to find your goodness in this situation. I have no footing. Answer me out of the goodness of your heart. I mean, this is pain, friends. This is suffering. Um, David was going through it, and Jesus pointed back to this and said, look, I'm, I'm going through all of these steps to show you that I'm fulfilling all of this on the cross. But I love the final prayer, and it's the prayer that I'm inviting us into. Answer me, God. It's a great prayer. It's a demand. Answer me, God. But it's a prayer who understands also God's goodness in the face of immense pain. Um, Let me think about that for a minute. So what is it? God is good. Answer me out of the goodness of your heart. God is good. We hear people saying that, right, at church. God is good. And then some people are like, if, if you're from certain traditions, all the time, all the time, God is good. What that does not mean, and I think sometimes what this means to people is this, God is good. Uh, it does not mean that you're immune to pain. God is good. It does not mean I'm invincible. We don't say it because of that. Nor does it mean like, I'm really in pain and I'm going to stuff that pain way down deep inside of me and pretend like I'm in a good mood. God is, God is good, good. On, on, on Easter Sunday, uh, you may hear someone saying, Jesus is risen. And if you're like, if things are going well in your life and it's all making sense and you're not feeling pain, you might say, he is risen indeed. Uh, but for most of us, when people say, he is risen, we might say, well, good for him. <laughs> if we're being honest with how we feel in our pain, good for Jesus, right? If someone, if someone says, he is risen, and, and, and you say, well, good for Jesus, you might shock them. <laughs> um, but if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. Um, but the psalmist moved past that. The psalmist was able to get out of that good for Jesus mentality and able to say, God, you are good. I know deep down inside that you're good. So Jesus' whole experience is confrontation with pain and the question of God's goodness. And, and when we're in pain, when we're in the most pain, we forget the most core thing, um, that God never really needed us. He doesn't need us. He's, he's perfectly fulfilled. And if you read all of the good books on the goodness of God and the problem of evil and the problem of suffering, the main point is this. How is God both all-powerful and all-good? Well, we exist. We're here. That's the answer. <laughs> we don't have to be here. And we forget that God didn't need us. And that the very fact that we exist is proof of his goodness. Now, I know that doesn't hit our hearts. <laughs> that answer doesn't get anywhere close to our hearts. But that's how it works up here. Um, C.S. Lewis said it like this. There's three, there's three options in this world. To be God, to be like God, and to share in his goodness in creaturely response, or to be miserable. Three alternatives. I'm going to unpack this just for us briefly. Uh, and it works like this. When confronted with the problem of pain, we turn to three options. The first one is atheism. Um, well, if there's so much pain and God is good, well, that must, that's a contradiction. So he must not exist. He must not be real. And oftentimes, um, the flip side of uh, atheism uh, is, well, if God doesn't exist, then I must be God. I'm the one in control. 
So you have three options in the face of pain. The first one is to think that either God doesn't exist or that you are God. That's, that's an option for you. But if you uh, turn to atheism um, and think, well, if God exists, he's not looking at me or not with me or maybe doesn't exist at all, you've completely cut out all of the phenomenon of religion. I mean, you are in the minority of human beings to think that God doesn't exist. In all time, in all cultures, uh, the majority of people have a sense that there's something more. And so if you've gone towards the first option, you've cut that off. But you've also parted company with your own childhood. Like, our, our, our own childhoods are filled with awe and filled with wonder. Um, and you're just sort of, the burden of proof is on the atheists. We'll say it like that. I'm, I'm, I'm using brain stuff here. I'll get to the heart stuff soon. Um, or if you are an atheist, you've, you've gone out of step with some of the greatest poets and thinkers in the world. You can be an atheist, but there's a huge cost to doing atheism, if that's the response. Well, I'm not going to spend too much time here, because you can read C.S. Lewis's Problem of Pain, or N.T. Wright's The um, Evil and Justice of God. There's so, if you're really interested in knowing the up here answers, there's lots of resources out there. I'm just going to skim by these really quick, just to, to give us the main points. But uh, if you go for atheism, fine, but you're, you're outside of the, most of the human experience. Now, you might say, okay, I'm not an atheist, but with the pain of the world, uh, there must be an evil God. God must be evil. And if this is true, if this is what you believe, if this is where you go, you have to realize that this is the, the, the speak of the enemy. This is what Satan has been convincing us of, or trying to convince us of, from the beginning. Um, and if you're, if you're fully, resolutely in this spot, um, then um, I'm going to say something very directly to you here. Um, of course, we always don't feel that God is good. But if we are toying around with that idea and are convincing ourselves up here that God must be not so good, we've let the enemy come into our camps and set up shop. Um, we always resist and always have to resist that feeling that God is not good or that thought that God is not good. Of course, it's different down here, and I'll get to that. Um, but if we start believing that God is somehow evil, we've lost the battle to begin with. Um, and how do, we, how do we counter this? What are the answers? Well, um, it comes back to free will and that this is probably the best possible world that could exist where we can also be free and not just machines. If you're interested in that, there's lots of writing on that. Um, but this is the role of the crowd, right? The role of the crowd going, I believe God is good. I believe that this is the king. He's going to come, but boom, tragedy, trauma, and we can no longer support this person. Um, and this is how, how it works for us. So happy and confident in God at one moment, swayed by other authorities that would press us down in the next. And our whole life, friends, our whole life as Christians is to learn to keep the enemy at bay. Uh, again, I'm talking a lot of up here. Um, but the third option is this. We only have three options in the face of evil. Um, we can then take his hand and grieve in faith. That's the, that's the, the third option. And let me tell you, friends, that's the, the really the only one. As C.S. Lewis um, says, the other two only end in misery. It's only miserable. If we want to, to have any sort of goodness in our life, uh, we've got to take 
his hand and recognize that he is an authority who is elevating us. He is an authority who is making us better. He's not just pressing us down. In order to be in relationship with him, we've got to be elevated a little because we're fallen and broken. Um, he is like an artist. He's like an artist, and, and we are his art. And he's saying, I love them and want so much from them and to elevate them from their fallen, broken state that it's going to be like, I'm not going to, you might want me to be loving, kind, be loving and kind to you right now, but um, there's a kind of loving and a kind of kindness, which is like, I'm going to keep remaking you and remolding you and reshaping you until you're perfect. And just when it seems like you've arrived and I see, uh, I see something that's not yet full, fully perfect, I'm going to put you back on the wheel and start remaking you again. And that's what our life is like. And that's the problem, but the gift of pain as well. We go through so much trial, but God is elevating us. Okay, I'm still speaking up here. I know it's hard, hard to get that here. Um, but God's love is powerfully strange. It's not like a grandfather who just wants the young kids to be happy all the time. God's love is more intense than that. If we want, if we want God to be like a grandfather going, have a good time, that's like a lower form of love. God, God is also like a lover who wants his beloved to be beautiful and whole and healthy. And so, because of all of this, we are like in the hands of a loving God. He wants us much higher and better. But where does that leave us? Okay, I mean, these are the answers. But where does that leave us here? It leaves us on the road to the cross and to the tomb. To take his hand and to follow him through our pain and believe in his goodness. The one word that describes that well is grief. Grieve in faith. I'm going to get into that next week. That's what I'm going to talk about. What does it look like to take his hand to say, to say, God, you exist and I know you're not evil, but I don't feel that. I'm like the crowd who at one moment is so happy, but the next moment can turn on you. What, is it, what does it look like for a life which orients itself and, is, and turns its full heart to the belief that God is good no matter what? And that's grieving in faith. I'm going to get there. I'm going to talk about specifics. What is grief? How does it work? Um, again, I'm going to wish everyone happy Easter next week. But then we have to ask the question, well, what does this cross and the resurrection really have to do with happiness? Um, it teaches us what grief is about. And Jesus did some really good grieving. And his followers did some really good grieving and allowed them to understand God's deeper purposes and to trust in his character, even though it all seemed like it was going to hell. So we're on the road to the cross and the tomb. And the, I want to give you more to-dos today. Like, here's what you should go home and do this afternoon type of stuff. Like, I really want to give you that, especially with grief, because grief is so important. Here, here's, how, here's how you make sure you're going to cry in life the best way. Here's, here's why journaling is so important. Here's why it's important for you to know. So this, I, w- I want to get there, but I'm stopping myself th- today. We'll get there next week. All I'm inviting you to this week is read the stories. Don't waste the week. It's here again. It happens every year, but it comes around every year. Don't waste the week. Read the stories. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get yourself into the final week of Jesus' life. You can find it if you know how to Google. Type in the last week of Jesus, and it will give you one of these passages. And go through it and read it slowly and find how it touches you. But as you do so, do some honest work. What is it that you have to grieve? Because grief is like, it's like the wall that is in our neck between our head and our hearts. If we want the knowledge of God's goodness to come into our hearts, we've got to break down this wall. And that's what grief does. So do some honest work. Um, what is it in your life that you know that you haven't grieved over? And, um, and we'll find our way into the heart of God, friends. Okay, I just want to say so much more. This was supposed to be one sermon, and I cut it in half. I'm like, okay, this is really two. And I'm like, oh, I have it all written. I want you, I want you to know about grief next week. Um, I'll, I'll stop myself here. Um, but as we, as we transition to this table, as we do every week, um, Jesus reminds us that um, to follow him as a faithful disciple, like the handful of women who were at the cross and followed him to the end, and who came to his tomb early on Sunday with spices to show their devotion to him, even though they were believing, even though the worst had happened. If we want to be like them and not the crowd, do this in memory of me. Take a piece of bread, dip it into some juice, and remember that my body was broken. I went through the pain. I was strong enough, and I did it for you. And the juice reminds you of my blood, that I poured myself out for you when you couldn't. And take it in and digest it. Isn't it a beautiful symbol? Like, digest it. Make all of its little particles become part of you so that faith sort of seeps out. I mean, there's not magic. Uh, but that's the symbol of it all. That's why we come to God's presence week after week and stay devoted to him when everything and the enemy and all the world is trying to teach us to question him and his goodness. Um, so whatever God said to you today, whatever, wherever you're at, whatever takeaway you have, my invitation is to bring it with you to the table as a prayer. And when you go back to your seats for the final two songs, use this as the time to do some work with God and to, um, to wrestle where you need to wrestle or to praise where you need to praise. The table is set here, and everyone here is welcome.